Welcome to Buddha the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer and my guest this week is Krishna Gauchi. And uh, Krishna told me that he got that name from Papaji, uh, who conferred Indian names on a lot of his students, uh, Gangaji, Neelam, um, you know, who else? Arjuna, our dog. And of course, Andrew. <laughs> uh, not everybody. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, it's pretty cool that he gave you that name because he was, as I understand it, a Krishna devotee. So it's sort of an honor that he gave you the name Krishna. Yeah. You know, sweet. Yeah. 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 Uh, Krishna is a uh, spiritual teacher of sorts, and he'll tell us more about himself as we go along. He lives out in Oregon. And um, it, these days he... Um, is involved with Waking Down and Mutuality, uh, which was started by Samuel Bonder. And uh, you're probably about the 10th person from Waking Down that I've yeah. interviewed. And uh, I, I can think of at least one listener that's, that's smacking herself in the forehead and saying, oh, God, not another Waking not Down. Another one. <laughs> but um, what I find is that in talking to people who are involved in Waking Down, uh, they're not all cut from the same mold. Everyone seems to have their own fresh... Um, way of expressing things and their fresh their own angle on things and that is actually explicitly encouraged and not at all restricted um, in that uh, organization if it's an organization um, and uh, so it, it's, it almost if I didn't mention waking down you know with some of these people it would almost not be apparent that that's what they're involved in <laughs> I hear you yeah so, um, as I do for many of my interviews, I listened to a lot of uh, your talks in preparation. In fact, you had about 44 YouTube videos up, and I listened to all of them. Wow. Um, I don't actually sit in front of my computer and watch them, but I, I download them all and then convert them to audio, and I have a way, an automated way of doing that, and then I listen to the audio while I'm riding my bike or you know doing things. And um, one, one thing that kind of jumped out at me in listening to them is that um, you, you gave me a sort of a fresh appreciation of the term core wound and in fact you just sent me some uh, a, an article you wrote about that that's a term that's used in waking down and I don't think I quite understood it before at least not as clearly but as I understand it now and you're welcome to clarify it further um, it has to do with sort of the uh, you might say the the juxtaposition or the paradox between uh, the absolute level of life, which we are, and the relative expression of our individuality, which we also are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could start by you kind of just riffing on that a little bit, and we can talk about that, and, and we'll talk about other things. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the core wound... Is just as you say. It's um, the <coughs> absolute nature and the relative nature. Um, the fact that we're both of those um, is unconscious in most of us. Um, at least in most of our uh, through most of our lives, we are um, identified with the relative nature. I mean, m most people are. Mm -hmm. And uh, the limits, the human. That's all we know. And that's all we know for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And then if we're really, really lucky, <laughs> and, um, either, and, and either someone or some situation 
um, points us to the dimension of ourselves that is aware of the human, aware of the limits, aware of um, everything that's definable about us. Um, then we discover that we're actually also, or it appears that at first for most of us, we're actually only that which is uh, free of limits, free of description, that's aware of everything. And um, for a lot of us, uh, that is enough. That is great grace right there to know yourself as that which is unfindable. Un unfindable, did you say? F-I-N-D? Unfindable. Yes, okay. it's another way of saying it. There's so many ways of yeah. point, pointing right. to the dimension of ourselves that's transcendent, you could say. Um, at some point, for, for most of the folks that I know, for pretty much all of the folks that I know who awake to themselves as consciousness itself, as that which is beyond form, there's a kind of um, uh, going back and forth, getting it and losing it for a while, until there's a real recognition that this is what I am. Um, I am the awareness of everything. Mm -hmm. But that still is a kind of subtle duality. Um, because in all honesty over time, it's apparent that we also are these limits. And um, I think you mentioned in some of the other videos that you've done um, that it seems as though there's a kind of a wave of teachers either speaking of this, even though they knew it before, they didn't feel people were ready, so they didn't speak about it much, or they're discovering it for themselves or acknowledging it for themselves at some level. Even if it's not explicitly stated that way, you can see a difference in the teaching over the years um, of people who teach non um, non-dual or an awakening to consciousness itself there's a kind of a, a recognition that yeah also we are these limits and yeah you can say they're a story yeah you can say they change so therefore they're not what you really are but they keep showing up um, one of the things that attracted me to waking down uh, 10 years ago when I first got involved and in, uh, actually it's longer than that 98 is when I got involved um, I had been with um, Papaji uh, in the, um, the early 90s and I had been um, awake as consciousness and resting as being um, and um, when stuff would come up I would simply watch it but wouldn't identify with it and um, in waking down they were the, the conversation there was that um, you can awaken to a sense of yourself in which both of those are simultaneously uh, embraced as who you are. Well, a couple of things strike me from what you just said. Um, one is <laughs> that it seems that some teachers or exponents of so-called non-duality um, are still very much beating the drum of, you know, there is no person and drawing all kinds of conclusions from that. Because there is no person, then you don't need to do this, that, or the other thing, because that only implies the existence of a person. It would only reinforce the notion of a person, and so on. Um, others have kind of used to talk that way, and have sort of evolved, if we want to use that word, into a more nuanced, 
you know paradoxical way of seeing things or fell from or fell from grace well that's the point i was going <laughs> to say which is kind of amusing in that you you hear feedback from some of the some of the people in the first camp that these guys are like lost souls you know they they've become schizophrenic they've you know just really kind of you know ne maybe never had it in the first place um and it's funny there's a there's a website which is very popular um which i I won't name names, but the, the subtitle of the website is There is No Duality in Non-Duality. And, um, <laughs> the, you know, in interviewing like 80-some-odd people now... It's what, really... If you could just stop for... Could just, yeah, sure. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's look at that. There's no duality in non-duality. Right. Just just read the word. It's called non-duality. Yeah. <laughs> so there is duality. There is duality in there. In non-duality, obviously. Yeah. And there's a reason why it's called not two uh -huh. rather than one. Elaborate because, on that. Well, because duality is in, in it. Yeah. In other words, it contains two, but it's not two. It, the, 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 the insistence on being logical. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than transcending logic or re realizing this is transrational rather than rational is where the trap is. Say that again, if you would. Well, the insistence in uh, being logical or rational when this realization is transrational, translogical. Uh -huh. it's, beyond, it's beyond a simple linear, either it is or it isn't. Right just not the way it is. Well, I that's, mean, that's interesting because, I mean, uh, one thing I tussle with is, you know, whether the people who are speaking this way, I'm sure the, a great many of the people who speak about this um, are speaking from some genuine realization or genuine yes. awakening, genuine experience. Um, but I, I yes. also get the sense that many people who speak about this are speaking primarily on the basis of a, an understanding of it, which is which seems more profound than other understandings because it's right there in front of our nose and and you know you could gain an intuitive understanding if you just put your attention on it and it's and it's easy to mistake that intuitive understanding for the actual realization that it's pointing to and and think that you've got it and i i i don't feel qualified to necessarily sort these people out uh, right but, but i think there's a lot of that going on yeah yeah i think that's true i also my my also my sense is that there is in regards to see there, there's a difference between the realization and our nature as consciousness mm. say so, yeah, talk about that yeah. so 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 these often get confused so um if i were to say um there's a deepening in your realization mm -hmm. how could there be a deepening it's just what it is it's a, consciousness is just what it is there's right. no deepening in consciousness consciousness is what's aware of everything mm -hmm. but the realization doesn't happen to consciousness consciousness doesn't change right so the realization itself which is what and the understanding and the, the insight it deepens yeah, I mean, consciousness always, it, it is what it always it has been, or it, 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 there's no path to it, but it, it is what it is. As, as Ramana Maharshi put it, there are no levels of awareness, but there are levels of experience. Right, there you are. And so there's, so it's possible to be like, um, and in fact, it's not only possible, it happens that um, when uh, someone has a, a legitimate, real, honest-to-goodness um, awakening realization 
um, they cling to the realization rather to, than uh, and, the and, and the description of reality in, in light of that realization rather than to um, uh, well they cling to it let's just mm. that's enough enough to say yeah it seems to me that a person could never be totally devoid of the sense of personhood uh, of their being a, a of their being, of the, I mean, but I, you know, I have a doubt about that because some people are adamant about it. They say, no, all sense of personal self has, has vanished, has evaporated. And um, I can't dispute that if that's their experience. But, you know, it, it seems to me there's always going to be a f some sort of, at least a remnant, but uh, perhaps more than a remnant, that, that is essential for functioning in life. Yeah, it depends what you mean by, you know, this is the thing. We all, I mean, there's only, there's only the only thing we have to use, um, the only thing we have to use to communicate our words, and um, we're everyone's throwing around words, and um, it's definitely possible to speak about this in the abstract and to um, you know give it language or philosophy, and this is obviously even what we're doing now. Um, but really, um, my own sense is that in order to really penetrate these layers um, beyond just a kind of an idea, it's really one-on-one. -on -one. I would ask the person, what do they mean exactly by person? Uh -huh. What do you mean by personhood? You, what do you mean? Not like, oh, you know, like in the dictionary. No, no, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. What's your experience? Well, right if, you ask, if you ask me, um, you know, I would say that there's always this like you said resting in presence and you know that's always there whether whether life is peaceful and calm or whether it's tumultuous i mean it's it's in fact it's even sometimes much more evident when life is tumultuous like today i spent an hour in a best buy with with all kinds of flashing televisions and noise and all that stuff and and i and i was thinking actually about your discussion of core wound because you know i was thinking how at one time in my life that would have been Injurious in the sense that you know overwhelming and uh, you know overshadowing and so on. But now I, I find it kind of delightful in a way. Uh, it's almost like this: the, the paradox between absolute and relative creates bliss rather than creating pain. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is the whole thing is paradox. That's that's really um, the thing to speak about. Um, in a, in a sense, you weren't at Best Buy, and there was no you to be at Best Buy. And who was it that was at Best Buy? And isn't Best Buy just a memory? Isn't it just something in, in mind? Yeah. Um, so, all right, that's how it is, absolutely. And yet, you went to Best Buy. Yeah. And, and even while at Best, Best Buy, Buy, I mean, even while there, it's like it's clear in the experience that on uh, there's a dimension in which, you know, there is absolutely nothing happening, you know, there is no individual person, there is no Best Buy for that matter, it's just pure silence, but then at the very same time, there's a person talking to the sales guy and you know, looking at computers exactly. and doing all this stuff. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And the two get along quite nicely. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are. I mean, um, just to get back to the core wound, if, if I may. Sure, yeah, please. So, so I mean, the premise in this this whole idea about the core wound is that, um, the like everyone says, you know, samsara or 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 limited existence 
is, um, is unsatisfactory. I mean, that's even the Buddha's first noble truth. Right. Life is suffering. Life is suffering. Okay. But why? I mean, if it's simply, if our nature is consciousness and it's simply arising and everything is just um, what it is, even from a human level, okay, it passes, it changes, why would you expect anything else? Um, it's all we ever know, we've ever known. It's all we've ever seen. And people say, okay, well, there's grasping and there's relating to th things as if they're going to always be there or exist as if, as if they exist in and of themselves. But why? Well, then the answer is ignorance is forever, eternally there. Ignorance is our nature. So there's this mysterious ignorance that's also eternal. <laughs> um, so waking down is just going a little bit further and saying that the reason that it's experienced as unsatisfactory is because there's a subtle comparison. There's always an intuition, even if it's underneath awareness, that we are eternal. We don't change. Mm -hmm. um, and what, the way I usually talk about this, to bring it at a very human level, is how many times have you, you know, been having an argument with your uh, beloved, and um, and you look in their eyes and say, "Why do we show up this way? I know we are love. Yeah. I know we are peace. Why am I so worried about this? I I I, I know ultimately I am peace. It's it's this kind of a knowledge that we don't we aren't at some level what we appear to be. Huh. So you're saying, and, and I'm yet, sorry, go ahead. and yet, we what we appear to be is exactly what we are and what we feel ourselves to be. So even before any awakening, there's a sense, an unconscious comparing between how we show up in our in limited form, in our limited way. Are, are you there? I'm there. Yeah. Um, how we show up in our limited way. And, um, and something that we intuit, that we may not be very clear about, we might have had childhood experiences of it, but there's another way we are that we're not showing up as and it's very frustrating and very painful so you're saying that the the sort of the essence the essential reason why life is maybe experienced as suffering is that we have this faint intuitive sense that we are much more than we are living and we're unable to actualize that even even that we are co we are unconsciously continuously comparing our present experience. Yeah, like okay, this sucks compared to what I know that it could be, or what I or not I, even oh, what it could be, what I actually am. What I I'm actually not, am, what right? I'm not showing up as. Right, like you're 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 in a cage, you know, and you know you're a free bird, but you're in this. You, you appear to be in this cage. Well, yeah, you both you both are free and you're not free. Uh, so 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 there's this this again. It's paradoxical. It's not linear. Like I'm either free or I'm not free. We're simultaneously free and not free and we're not quite aware of being free of how we are free because freedom is our very nature mm -hmm. it's not something that we uh, you know will have freedom is our nature right. it's just that it's unconscious we're not conscious that, of the dimension we're free in but there's an intuition there's a knowing at some level yeah and it usually ends up saying being something like it doesn't have to be this way but why do you know it doesn't have to be this way it always looks this way everybody's uh dying and, and falling apart and there's lots of limits mm -hmm. um, but there's, a, there's an intuition at least if not a downright experience of not also not being that 
And so as we if we're lucky, we become conscious as that. Yeah. And I think perhaps it's that intuition of that we are that that drives the seeker, you know, that lights his fire and gets him going to look for it. Right. The thing is is that after we become conscious as consciousness itself as mm -hmm. the unfindable we then want to make believe that we're not the very thing we left behind uh -huh. now certainly um, the way in which we in other words when there's um, you know in waking down you, what we call the second birth is a conscious re-identification with limits after a very if not a uh, after a, fo a form of realization of consciousness or, mm -hmm. or, or knowing that we are more than that. And um, uh, it's, it's a return to limits. Now, of course, the way that you end up being those limits is going to be different. It's because you, you cannot go back to being unconscious of your, of your freedom. Mm -hmm. But now your freedom is happening right alongside with your bondage. And um, it's all paradoxical. I mean, if you, you're speaking from the dimension of, of freedom, there is no bondage, there's no change, there's nothing, there's no one to be chained. Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, a moment later, uh, somebody kicks you in the leg, <laughs> it's very obvious that there's pain there and there's a leg that needs to be wrapped. Yeah. And, and if you simply remain the watcher of the leg that needs to be wrapped, rather than identifying with it, you remain outside of the core wound, what we call the core wound, or that becomes the conscious wound after becoming conscious as it, and you remain disassociated. There's a slight um, duality. Actually, it's a huge duality. Well, let me, let me comment on that. Else. Yeah, let me comment on that a little bit, um, or question you. Um, it's, it seems to me that, you know, once the you're, you're conscious nature, whatever we want to call it, has been realized, then limitation is no longer a problem. Um, it's only a problem if, if that's the only component of life that's lived, but you know, once it has its foundation, then it's, it can be a joy. You know, it can be interesting. I mean, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. You don't expect your, you know, your muscles to be unlimited or, <laughs> you right. know, or your ability to earn money or whatever else. Uh, that's that you know, because we're those are in the realm of limitation. And that's the way. Right, and so expectation. But, but, but when when counterbalanced by the unlimited realm, then everything seems to s flow very smoothly and and you know, nicely. Yes and yes and no. I mean, yeah. let's let's say it this way: um, the expectation that the limited will be anything but limited is released. So there's great freedom that way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a sense of well-being, most definitely, in terms of you're seek seeking to remedy something, right? right? Because l the limits are limits. They're what, what they are. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, if you're not standing back but allowing yourself also to be those limits, the, the, our limited nature or our, our human nature, once the conscious principle has been awakened and there's a, re a conscious leaning forward, into feeling sensation. Feeling sensation now awakens in itself so that it begins to feel, and all of us feel this to some degree or another and have little previews of it in our life, even way before awakening. But this, in this kind of embodied awakening, um, where you lean into the sensations of 
of um, of the human arising. Um, there is an awakening that happens in the energy field of that body such that you begin to feel others as well. And other, other people. Other people, all sentient beings. You begin to feel everyone who's in your field. Mm. And that feeling affects your body. You're not guarded right. from the consequence of somebody who's suffering. Mm -hmm. And so it's not all great or <laughs> smooth. It's quite difficult. There can be great compassion that comes out of feeling very difficult feelings. Um, so there's a... Oh, let me just... It sounds like you yeah. want to... Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, yes, I, I acknowledge and, and um, wasn't suggesting that... Uh, things are necessarily going to look smooth and rosy, uh, you know, to or, the or feel that way, or, or even feel that way to either yourself or to an outside observer. But there's, it seems to me that there's, after a certain point, there's always going to be a dimension, in spite of the most horrendous situation, uh, on which, you know, that's unperturbed. Like I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean. Um, Ten years ago, I fell off my bicycle, and I've used this example before in interviews, and hit my head. I had a helmet on, but I scraped my arm. It was quite painful. But through the experience of it, you know, I was the, even in the midst of it, I was quite aware of that sort of unperturbed quality, and it was uh, almost bemused by the fact that it wasn't scraping or pain or paining. Or a couple months ago, I got sick, and I was vomiting a lot. And same thing, you know, going through this intense experience. Uh, but there's there's always this you know fundamental well-being yeah which is never which nothing seems to be able to perturb and um, would you say in light of what you're saying in, in the last few minutes that that means that I somehow haven't gotten into my experience enough or something or is I that your case as well well both of them I mean I, I don't I don't know you know I would not I'm prepared to say what you should or shouldn't be doing. Um, <laughs> well, it's just but I, I, well, I'm not trying to do anything. It's just the way it is. You know? Yeah, that's the way it is. So it's perfect. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, um, you know, I, I, I most definitely the, the fundamental well-being is there. Um, the, and the, it's not, a, and it's not even a physical well-being. I mean, your phys your physiology can be traumatized. Right. It's a consciousness well-being. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and 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 yet. Um, the more the fundamental well-being is there, the more capacity that there is to feel. You could say, I mean, you know, if what ends up happening actually is there's um. The you know what what I describe as the core wound is sort of like this juxtaposition of of what is arising and what is changing, and what is limited. You know, married to what is um. What is unchanging and unlimited. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and all this language is by nature dualistic because lang language is. There's no way to really speak a word and have this precise. But it, but pointing to certain assumptions so that people will um, question them is is the whole purpose. But um, that that wound becomes more and more conscious. You could say the, there's a rub, and it's not like. They're rubbing. It's just like there's an un, there's an uncomfortable feeling mm -hmm. that is um, inherent in letting yourself feel what it is to be this body. Yeah. And the 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 fundamental wellness does not alleviate. Um, it it 
it, it changes. In other words, there's the fun, you have this fundamental well-being, and you also have the capacity to feel what it is to be human here, what it is to be sentient here, never mind human. To feel more acu acutely, <coughs> acutely, more sense, <coughs> excuse me, with greater sensitivity, you're saying, as if our senses and our feeling capacities are, are dulled or repressed or muted or something. They become more and more and, over and time. They, they wake up. Right. They become more and more over time sensitized. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what that equals, it, well, you know, you, there's, a, there's an image from Tibetan Buddhism that I, that I like or from um, Mahayana Buddhism um, where um, Avalokiteshvara, the, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, who is um, in that um, uh, mythology um, uh, a being who is at the highest level of realization that's possible. Uh, also known as Kuan Yin in, 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 in the female form that's mm -hmm. worshipped throughout China or was. Um, and, the and the story is that from the 10th level at which he, she exists, this being, um, one, one of her faces, it's two faces, one of her faces is facing emptiness and is at perfect peace, mm -hmm. absolute equanimity, um, just solid oceanic peace and the other face looks out upon all of existence all of sentient beings hearing their cries mm -hmm. and is herself crying 24 7 hmm. always never stops weeping hmm. that's the core wound that's the conscious wound so the idea that I could be like you know really fundamentally at home, yes, but the, the idea that I'm now, everything's fine, knowing I live in a universe where children can be raped, not possible. Right. Not even desirable. Yeah, no, I'm not, uh, yeah. Well, I just, I, this is just a point to, to, to make. I mean, I'm not, you know, suggesting right. that you were saying you know, everything's groovy, and, but I just, but, but you know, speaking in, in such a dramatic way, you know, points to the value of this concept of the conscious wound. Yeah. That um, it's a conscious wound of love um, when it awakens. It's, it's, it's that you want to be in touch with this human dimension or, you know, or, or your awakening to consciousness can become a kind of um, uh, numbing agent you know, a way to go to sleep from the suffering of the world so you can have peace and say everything's peaceful, knowing that there are sentient beings yeah. who are suffering. I, I don't know if it could always be that way. I think maybe eventually you'll get kicked out of that phase, but um, it, it, I think... It, yeah, the, well, yeah. That, I, I would tend to agree with that. <laughs> but I think it can be that way for quite a long time, perhaps. Yeah. I'm reminded of Tim Freak's, uh, one of his favorite sayings, which is that um, love is how oneness feels. Yeah. Yeah, he's love that guy. Yeah, I interviewed him uh, last year sometime. Um, you know, one thing that struck me as you were describing that uh, g goddess, uh, Kuan Yin with the two faces, yes. was that when you really think about it, when you really get right down to it, I mean, what are we? You know, if you if you distill everything down to its ultimate essence, you know, the way I understand and intuit things is you get right down to sort of the level of God, you know, <laughs> I mean, pure pure intelligence. 
and and that pure intel and we're just sort of individual expressions of that as if sense organs of of the infinite yes. and and as a sense organ of the infinite um you know we are in a way i hate to use the word channel but we're like you know channels through which um that intelligence that which also has love as very much part of its nature um, can express itself more effectively in the world especially an awakened individual it, it becomes capable of of being that you know this, that sort of tool and and um, perhaps that's something along the lines of what you're suggesting maybe not it is I mean it, it, it there's a lot of ways to talk about this level because th this is where we you know, we move into the realm of the po poetic, mm -hmm. because poetry um, points there better than 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 logic. Um, yeah, I, my own sense is that what we are at, if we're going to speak about what we are as individuals, is um, unma the unmanifest has infinite potential to manifest in an infinite variety of ways. But the only way that it can do that is to arise as a subject and object. Yes. So what we are in our fullness as a unique soul, you can say, as a jiva, as a unique soul, mm -hmm. <clears throat> arising in um, something that's beyond unique or multiplicity, um, as our individual unique being we are a subject object we are um, a unique universe that we see that's continuously changing and uh, a unique set of sense organs to be aware of that unique universe so I, I guess it was Nursagadatta Maharaj who said that uh, when you go to sleep at night the universe your universe goes to sleep with you and when you wake up in the morning it wakes up with you because everybody is absolutely unique and the world that they see is absolutely unique so even if there were a group of people in this room um, and they all looked at me from different angles in the room they'd see a different Krishna and they'd hear my voice through their own ears sure because and as seeing and hearing instruments we are not perfect <laughs> I mean you know they all see if they had eyes to see if they weren't blind they'd all see that that screen behind you with the the slats of wood and they'd all see the couch you're sitting on if they weren't color blind they'd all perhaps agree on the same color so there's there's sort of like a uh, it seems to me a, a structure that um, is universally agree and if somebody who had never seen you walked into the room and, and he, he, he could describe the very same things so there's there's something that transcends or is broader yeah. than our just it's not like we create our own individual universe to the extent that we're all living in completely unrelated worlds and can't you know can't yeah, well, function very, together <laughs> it gets very it gets very very paradoxical I mean that's you just in a way you can only describe one slice of reality at a time right yeah right uh, you know and what what I what I'm pointing to is that people are so individual that look all perception is a form of limitation. I mean, basically, you know, uh, our eyes are able to see things because they don't see the whole spectrum. They only yes. see a particular spectrum of light. And if they could, and we'd so, be in big trouble. 
Yeah, if, they could, if we could see all the spectrum of light, we couldn't see anything. In fact, there was that uh, chapter 11 in the Gita where, you know, Krishna showed Arjuna his, you know, true form and he took all the limitations away. And after a few verses, Arjuna said, you know, I can't take it. It's too much. You know, put, put me and, back in my little. <laughs> and I would, I would even say that form, that universal form is still something that can be seen and so it's a limitation yeah you know it's the imper you could say the transpersonal unknowable not object um, that is you know the ultimate formless form in which uh, Arjuna and Krishna uh, dissolve into their true nature the true nature mm -hmm. so so any any particular form, any particular vision is by definition a limit. But that's the way that the unlimited infinite gets to be gets to see yeah. all of its potential. Potential is not seen except through buffering out or removing a bunch of stuff so you could see something in particular. Some slice of it. Exactly. And that's what each of us is. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a particular potential of, of God, if you want to mm -hmm. use that language. We're seeing a particular form of God. I think it's the Quran that said, um, I was a hidden treasure, and I created man so I could be seen. Beautiful. And, yeah, and so this is, this is what we are. We're subject-object. And, and, you know, um, all kinds of qualities get drawn out uh, emotionally and visually in, in, in this human form through interaction with the unique universe that we're that we're each in hmm. and that's also potential that's in the unmanifest that wants to be experienced so um uh the unique universe that we're aware of is is ultimately nothing but our own self it's god's form for us and um being becoming more and more conscious that the unique universe we're in is living us. Uh, you know, synchronicities, noticing, oh wow, outside and inside are not separate, mm. is the kind of communion that someone like Rumi spoke of. We're, tr you know, kind of tracking this hidden beloved in circumstances and in life and falling in love with that one. That's to fall in love with the unique manifestation um, that comes to each of us uniquely. I mean, each of us actually is in a certain way in relationship to um, to God absolutely uniquely. So you, you've seen this image of Krishna and Radha. I don't know. Uh, some people have. Anyway, it's a very Indian image. It's all over the place there. Of Krishna and Radha in the middle of a dance circle. Hmm. There's gopis or, you know... Um, the rasa uh, dance. Right. So there's gopis surrounding Krishna and Radha, and they're each with a different Krishna. Right. Because Krishna has all these lovers who are like the souls of humanity, and Krishna multiplies himself. And each lover, each gopi, has a different preference. One likes quick dancing, another one likes slow dancing, one likes a rascal kind of guy, another one likes a sweet, soft guy. So each of those Krishnas is unique for that one particular soul. Hmm. So each of us has a unique universe and a unique relationship to God 
the God that appears to you, the God that you're following, the God that you're... And I don't mean a particular name or form, because that one can use any name and form. Uh, although you could give it any name or form, or you could fall in love with a particular form. But in any case, it's the one that's been leading you in your life to discover and uncover what you needed to know next. That one that you've been tracking your whole life, that you've been paying attention to, even if you weren't conscious that you were. The one who's been leading you. has been leading you differently than it's leading me. Because each person is being led by, you could say, a different form. Or you could say it's all one form with different hands. However you want to speak about yeah. it is, is, you know, it's, then you get into the poetic, you get into the, <laughs> this fantastic imagery. Um, I was uh, chatting with somebody the other day, and she was commenting on someone I had interviewed, and, and she was saying, well, what makes him, why does he teach? Why, what makes him think he has to teach? And I said, well, that's his role. And she said, well, I know plenty of awakened people who don't teach. And I said, well, that's their role. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, what, one thing that this kind of attitude has helped me come to terms with is that, you know, fine, if the, the, not, the so-called neo-advaita guys that are hammering a particular emphasis of, of the whole thing, that's their role. You know, and they, they attract us. That's their niche. They attract a certain group that resonates with that sort of teaching. And uh, fine for them. Then on the over here you have you know the Hare Krishna people and they're chanting Hare Krishna. Great. That's the <laughs> and then yeah. there's there's the religious fundamentalists and then there's the atheists and it, it's like you know it's it's a great big entertainment uh, in a way um, and people just sort of naturally gravitate toward the thing that they resonate with and um, if you kind of like remind yourself of that it it really is a good antidote to you know one's own f tendency toward fundamentalism, which I'm not um, you know, immune f to by any means. Uh, I just kind of keep reminding myself to step back, take, you know, take God's perspective. Big universe, many souls, many paths. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, and you know, speaking of that, I, I actually, when I heard you talking about core wound, it, it, it struck me that there's kind of a cosmic core wound too. It's not just an individual. Maybe we locate it within ourselves as a, as an individual, but it's happening on a universal level. Yeah, there is no there is no individual core wound really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the the, the concept of core wound is distinctly non-personal. It, it's it's actually a, about the nature of it's existential. It's the right. It isn't. Um, it isn't. Uh, um, so that's the problem with the, the language. The language, you know, you could argue about whether we should have used different. I mean, and and, peop, and, and believe me, in the waking down community, we have. And this is what the, the language we we are using is core wound. I sometimes call it essential sensitivity or uh, essential rawness. Mm. But um, it isn't personal. It isn't because of some event that right. happened in your life. It's the nature of being a sentient being. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And you're just kind of, you know, you as ascension being are sort of tapping into a exactly. recognition of that, that universal um, situation. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, we have different language in, in the waking down uh, path. There's different language for those personal wounds, which are like core issues. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, even there, core issues, um, they're personal. And it's almost as though prior to the uh, becoming aware of the personal issues, there's a feeling of offness or a feeling of unsatisfactoriness that's there, that's universal, and that's, you could say, in, 
being a sentient being, being an incarnate be being. And um, because that's there, when someone abuses us or neglects us or something happens, we now have an explanation. Oh, it's because I wasn't loved. That's why I feel this offness. Hmm. But as many of us have found, you can become very conscious of, the, of those issues, which is really a good thing to do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I think it's great to become conscious of, of your traumas and your wounds. I mean, it can be very healing to a certain degree. Right. But it never does the whole job because the whole job isn't really personal. It's, it's prior to all of those personal issues, the feeling of offness, because it's this unconscious core wound. The more conscious you make that wound or that situation, the more you see it is just the situation of being a sentient being, is that we, we are still um, connected in and part of this network of limits and limitation, and all beings um, are, and, we, and, it's, and it's appropriate to feel that. Um, and it actually becomes much more bearable and feelable when we awaken to our non-finite, our infinite nature, our unfindable nature. Then there's room to actually hold all that feeling. Mm. Um, and um, so Kuan Yin can only cry 24-7 uh, because her other face is facing emptiness. Yeah, many years ago when I had been meditating for just a year or so, um, I was confronted by a rather upsetting situation. I went to my meditation teacher and described it to her, and she said, be an ocean. <laughs> be an ocean. Be an ocean. Yeah, uh, yeah it was kind of nice. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, then you'll have the capacity to deal with this thing, you know, yeah. but, but without that oceanhood, it's you're just not going to be able to sort of you know well you know um i spent quite a bit of time well depending it's all relative i spent time with with punjaji with papaji mm -hmm. and i remember him saying what else is there to do but but um suffer for others after you've um you after you're through suffering for yourself <laughs> i mean th th this is um uh part of what it is to be in the heart mm. to have heart yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like we become washing machines or something for a, a larger batch of laundry <laughs> yes yeah. most definitely yeah and a lot of people a number of people I've interviewed have described that too uh, per Pamela Wilson most recently I think we were talking about that and um, she was saying that she was feeling this sort of I can't quite do justice to the way she put it, but we touched on the idea. That, and who was it also? Um, Leslie Temple Thurston, who I interviewed last fall. Uh, you know, she's she's you know she sort of feels like she's specifically kind of processing particular situations. Like there might be something in the Middle East, and she can kind of feel it, you know, and mm -hmm. feel herself kind of helping to to resolve it, just within her own physiology. Yeah, I I I um I don't tend to track why I'm Where feeling it's coming from yeah. exactly <laughs> but I but I certainly do feel um, you know and this goes back to you know are we persons or not or whatever it all depends on your definition of these words um, you know I, I, I no longer feel myself confined to my own local address but I do feel myself having a local address but I certainly don't feel myself feeling wise confined 
this local address. I feel myself so much larger than that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in some way I've, re I've released the sense of being a localized person and I'm a larger person that may contain my, this local person and many other local persons. So, you know, but I don't think about that. You know, no, but thinking, on some level, that's the reality of your life. I mean, in some, right. you, you, can, you can articulate it if asked to do so, but you don't like go around thinking about it all day. Exactly. And I don't, you know, so, so the whole thing about, well, if you think that way, then there's another, still a person and all. I don't, I don't think that way. But if somebody, <laughs> but if somebody asks me, uh, you know, looks in this direction and, and speaks and says, what's, then I can describe this. And I can say, I. Yeah. And and you know what's you know, and you know you know this is never I I remember I remember again with Papaji, um, he was this paradox, of and I'm not saying that he was doing waking down or anything, but there's a spectrum, of, around this. In other words, different schools, different people, are um, are um on this spectrum of embodiment differently. And I, I remember the time I spent with him, I was struck by how um, when uh, he wasn't giving satsang, he was a no-nonsense, down-to-earth guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in satsang, um, if, if I sat uh, in front of him and he said, you know, who's there? And I said, there is no one here to answer the question. There's no question. There's no... It was very good, beautiful, or he, you know, it was wonderful. And then if I was, if I had just come from America and walked into his house, which, you know, sometimes I was lucky enough to go right in there and go into his dining room table and sit down with him. If he asked me how the trip on the train was coming over and I said, oh, there's no one to have a trip on a train, <laughs> he would have not been pleased. I can tell you right now. Yeah. Yeah. He was quite, you know, just give you a little look and <laughs> come on. Yeah. Um, so, so the capacity to be real at every level is is really what we're talking about. I think the word level is operant here, and I think that very often there's a confusion of levels that takes place Absolutely. in the in the way people talk and perhaps in the way they experience. You know, they, you know, if you go into a restaurant and the waitress comes up and said, "May I take your order?" You don't say. You know, there is no me, there is no you. In fact, there is no restaurant. I mean, you'll, she'll call the police. Uh, <laughs> you know, so on some level that's true, but it's not appropriate to talk that way. It's not at the level of the restaurant and ordering your food. It would be it's insane to talk that way. Well, e even to say, well, this body would like this, which is what. Yeah, it's just like. I remember when, you know, I first went to India. I was like 92, 93. We all came back talking that way. Right. Ma many of us did. Well, it must have been nauseating. Uh, yeah, well, it was. <laughs> but there are some who talk that way. I mean, you know, Nanda Maima was said to always talk that way, and I'll, I'll cut her some slack. I mean, she was pretty special and and you know, right. pretty out there. But <laughs> yeah. So, uh, did you just f find after a while that you were got you got sick of talking that way, and it you know people? Well, no, were... yeah, and that actually happened before waking down. There, there was a maturation process going back and forth to see Papaji and spending time with him. I mean, the initial thing of be, having consciousness pointed to mm -hmm. and recognizing that and basking in that, mm. um, then coming back and actually seeing him uh, interacting with people and uh, not doing that always. 
sometimes right. you know as we were talking about levels speaking and different levels um, opened up a lot for me actually the more time I spend with him the more um, I uh, um, had a sense that the human was very much a part of this and that there was no problem speaking in terms of souls and in terms of all kinds of other um, you know um, reincarnation stuff like that even sure and yeah. you know and you know he would give different answers to different people he didn't answer the question he always answered the person mm -hmm. so according um, to their level of experience and understanding yeah who, yeah I mean that, that's what that's what we would say you know um, all, all I know is that spontaneously he seemed to be um, addressing people where they were right even if they didn't realize that and and then they would realize it and and you know wow I mean, you know, a few people didn't realize it, but, you know, um, one person, uh, you know, they'd come and they'd start talking about God, and he'd say, what do you know about God? Who are you? Mm -hmm. And it could be two people later. Somebody comes in talking about God, and they're like, I, I remember one person actually being, being there, and one person saying, I feel very, very sad because I was in so-and-so's satsang, somebody who is a Papaji um, teacher, Papaji devotee, and... Um, and he told me, and I told him that my heart is with Jesus and, and, and I'm totally in love with God. And he told me this is just a projection. And I, I don't know how to do this right. I don't know how to do the, the, you know, I don't know what to do here. And Papaji looked at her and said, you keep loving God and you keep loving Jesus. You just keep right ahead doing that. That person doesn't, and he said his name, and he happened to be there in the audience. <laughs> he said, don't, don't listen to that, his advice. His advice is bad. Uh -huh. You know, um, it really depended on the person. Yeah. And um, he didn't have, uh, what I found often is, I mean, we, we all have doing the best we can, and we're all, um, as you said, we're all playing our part. Um, with Papaji, what I found so wonderful that I actually didn't find very much um, when I attended satsangs in the West, uh, who and the people there, good, very clear, close to my heart. So I'm saying nothing against those who were giving satsang in the West at all, really. Mm -hmm. um, oh, you're was, giving satsang in the West yourself. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, what's extraordinary? Uh, uh, what's extraordinary about Papaji was. Um, that he did not um, uh, sound the same all the time. Right. He did not give the same formula all the time. Mm -hmm. um, he's known as uh, an Advaita teacher because so many of the teachers who went were teaching Advaita, and indeed he was. But he was also um, a great devotional teacher. Um, and, as, uh, as were Nisargadatta, Ramana, Shankara, all these guys, actually. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know that. Um, no, I've I've you know, I've read things about them and and you know I yeah mean, yeah yeah you know, Sami Shankar the main no oh, Shankar for sure granddaddy of, sure. of Advaita you know and he yeah. was a, also a great devotee of God wrote beautiful devotional poetry and him you know, you know reestablished kind of worship of, of the of the Hindu yeah. gods all throughout India absolutely mm -hmm. um uh, and and Ramana was a great devotee of the mountain mm -hmm. I, I don't really know about Nrsinghadatta in terms of devotion but I have a friend that. Um, 
stayed with him quite a bit, and he's, he, you know, he said when the whenever he'd go away, he'd get into these rousing bhajan sessions, and he had his, his little altar, and he would do pujas at the altar. There and, you, you are. Know, all oh, kinds good. of devotional stuff. I didn't stuff. know that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I mean, with with Punjaji, it was, uh, you know, he would say things on occasion that were like shocking, like uh, he would say things. If it was up to me, I would stay a devotee for as many lives as I could. Uh-huh. I, I would rather do that than to dissolve into nothing. Mm. Um, I prefer to taste chocolate than to be chocolate. Mm, nice. Yeah, that's an age-old, um, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> thing too. <laughs> and it's like you know what? And and it totally, it totally um, just blew the mind because you you didn't have any place to stand anymore. Because if you're standing in the Advaita place, and here's this guy, you know, just saying all kinds of things that can't be true. I mean, even Ramana Maharshi. I mean, he wakes up at 17. Why in the world go to the mountain? Why? Yeah. The house that he's in is the self. His uncle is the self. Everybody's the self. Why? Because it's not that simple. Because at, at some individual nature level, he, need, he was called to that mountain. Mm-hmm. And that mountain was his teacher, his beloved. So it doesn't make sense from an Advaitic perspective because every, I mean, you know, if we're going to be logical about this, everything is the self. Um, who is there to go? You say, well, it all just happened by itself. But why did it happen that way? Yeah. Why, why did he not just stay in his uncle's house? Wasn't his life a demonstration that everything is the self? There's more. Well, you, but, you know, here, here we're sort of hypothetically trying to apply human logic to a, a situation in which uh, he wasn't governed by logic. He was governed by just, I'm sure, an, a deep realized intuitive yeah you know impulse to just go there and stay there yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's impulse to go there and stay there and to write yeah. love poetry to a mountain yeah this is not in other words when we use the human version of advaita where it's all oh yes obviously there's nobody home and therefore you know everything's equally the self and there's no difference that's true and yeah we're trying to fit realization into a much smaller box Exactly. You know, into the box of intellect. So devotion uh, to a mountain that is obviously his own self. Why does he have to go there? Well, you know, <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all, it's all yeah. there as well. I mean, Yours no. is not the reason why. Well, it, <laughs> I, it's not really. I'm. I'm. It's not. It's. It's a rhetorical question because I. I want to draw the point that folks can be in a devotional relationship actually to any particular deity or non-specified deity and actually move throughout life with intention or or with impulse maybe intention is not even the right word following deep impulses in being Mm -hmm. and that's listening to something apparently outside of you that's pulling you this is all like the kind of language that's oh no 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 you it's nothing outside of you why I wouldn't no say it's uh, necessarily outside of you. Whatever is p- was pulling Ramana to the mountain, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily. Well, we, we, we don't have to conclude that it was outside of him. There's no way to put this in language that works. So let's, you know. I mean, because what, what was he really? He was that. In that. Well, why did the body move from there to the mountain? Well, I have on my little paper in front of me some a little phrase I wrote down for when I was listening to one of your satsangs. You said, we're being lived. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the answer. Well, yeah, and, and the way that he expressed it in love poetry was that he, this was his guru when he was moving toward it. Mm-hmm. And he was already fully realized. 
Yeah. So, so I'm just speaking about paradox. Yeah. Speaking about the capacity to actually say, fully awakened to say, I have to go there, not here, there, and I'm moving this body there because I'm in love with that over there. Mm -hmm. All of that, all of the the language of from here to there and moving and all of that. And yeah, all along the way, he would say, oh yeah, Ramana, uh, Arunachala is my heart. But Arunachala is my heart and I have to be there. So, so this kind of paradox, yeah. non-solvable, not even having to be solved, but embrace of the story and the drama of divine love. Well, you Something. know what, Papaji, you just quoted Papaji, say, I'd rather eat chocolate than be chocolate, rather taste chocolate than be chocolate. There's, I think, a sweetness and uh, an, even an ecstasy yeah. in, in the devotional experience, which renders, um, you know, pure, non-dual oneness a little bit um, flat by comparison. Yes. And, you know, I think, and, and I think that's why so many of these sages and saints created situations spontaneously or however in which they could taste that that nectar of of love and devotion yeah or the or 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 that which was living them created the situation for them to awaken both to non-duality and devotion yeah i mean there's there's what was it that that rumi quote or was it muhammad or somebody you quoted as having said that how, how did you put it that god created man so he could realize himself or some such thing what was yeah, i was phrase? a hidden i was a hidden treasure and i created man um, so that um, so that I could be so, so that, that could be found or revealed, revealed. so it could revealed. be revealed yeah and you know perhaps by the same token you know that hidden treasure that uh, of pure intelligence not only creates man but then create, creates a situation in the life of a realized man so that bliss of of devotion can yeah. be experienced well, in yeah. human form well, yeah, and I and what I'm saying is that that one doesn't. They're not contradictory. They no, can be. It's not. They're, they're simultaneous. And 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 the dryness that sometimes happens in Advaita, my my sense is it's because someone's only clinging to that position. In other words, they they're like you said earlier. Um, there's a there, there's um there can actually I, the only th difference I would say is that you said that some people realize it, and then some people have an intuition of it and an intellectual understanding. My, my which, sense which is, they may mistake for the realization. Right, and my sense is that you can actually have a realization of it, mm -hmm. and then after the realization of it, the concepts arise, and then you cling to that uh -huh. be, 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 uh, out of thinking that, okay, I have a correct understanding now. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm actually saying that it's possible for people to actually be realized and um, get stuck and land somewhere. Uh, and a and you know the particular position that brought them to their realization is usually the most attractive. Yeah, and I say in light of that comment, I would say that you know we should we need to kind of nuance the word realization. It's not necessarily a static end of the line kind of thing. There could be many gradations of it and many degrees of maturation of it. And sometimes preliminary ones can be mistaken for final or more advanced ones. Yeah, I don't know about final. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, <laughs> I don't think there are any final, personally, but I haven't be, gotten there yet, so who, who knows. But, <laughs> but I do hear you. I do hear you. I think these concepts of um, um, once you're awakened, there's nothing afterwards, um, that come out of, out of statements of, of people who are um, 
describing some aspect of the truth. Yeah. Um, taken and it very much seems that way to them. Well, I think it's I think it's true at some level. At some level, yes, yes. Yeah, and 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 another level, it's not. And you know, again, applying what someone says about, um, you know, there's no further to go. There's no more seeking. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to do. Um, this is a, this is a, this is a, I mean, this happened with Papaji so many times. Um, people would um, be introduced to their to their their nature as consciousness. And Papaji would say, um, there's nothing else to do. And of course that's true. And then right after that he'd say, and remember vigilance. Yeah, do this. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, resting in your conscious nature, there really is nothing to do but rest in your conscious nature. Mm-hmm. And desires arise ready to pull you out of your conscious nature. So the whole idea that there's nothing else to do has um, more to it than meets the eye. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's another way in, we can, in which we can look at that, which is that, you know, you and I are having this conversation, and as such, this is a very kind of focused form of seeking. You know, we're seeking to clarify our understanding, to deepen our experience, perhaps, to communicate something to whomever may be listening, and so on. There's this sort of motivation to it right. otherwise otherwise we wouldn't do it right. uh, and yet at the very same time there's some level to the whole thing which is just resting in presence and content right. and and not needing to have anything added to it right and this is and this is you know this is again the paradox yeah very yeah. yeah can't can't say that word too many times really um another <laughs> thing that you said during your youtube videos that i watched which i liked um you, you sort of got into this God versus Advaita thing, which we've kind of been talking about now. Maybe we've really wrapped it up, but, yeah. you know, how they're, it's almost like God is a dirty word in some uh, yeah. circles. And that's, ne- that's Neo-Advaita in particular, Western Neo-Advaita. I mean, I, that is not Shankara. <laughs> that no. is not Ramana Maharshi, and it's certainly not Papaji. Um, so, but, you know, my, my own feeling is that we in the in the West we have right now. I mean Nietzsche is right. I mean, uh, you know, fundamentally underneath it all, uh, the West is um, kind of scientific materialist and atheist, um, or at least heavily agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we take that position as the way it is, as first, and then we decide whether we are believers or not. Um, it's like we'll add that on top. Is that of, what Nietzsche said? Well, Nietzsche said God is dead in oh, the West. I see. And, that's, right. and you know, when he said God is dead, he said we killed him. And we did. We killed him by the scientific method, really, hmm. um, by, by, by kind of um, separating ourselves out from reality. Um, and initially it was done in the church to try to give a more logical explanation of why there is a God. But hmm. as soon as you do this kind of separating yourself out from reality, um, you know, and take this kind of objective, scientific, objective perspective. Eventually, God just becomes unnecessary. Yeah, that um, always amazes me, actually, that a scientist could actually not appreciate God. I mean, how can an astronomer look at a galaxy and not see God? Or how could a biologist look at a cell and, you know, more complex than a, than a major American city and this tiny little thing and not see this 
you know, well, it's vast the, intelligence functioning there. It's the idea of separating from feeling, hmm. um, so you can be scientifically objective, and that's actually ingrained in our society. So when we came into contact with the Advaita teachings, which are also use this language of, in order to become clear about the nature of reality, separate out. We kind of conflated these two levels, huh. and um, it's sort of like, oh yeah, Advaita, that makes sense. I, I actually want to be objective anyway. So interesting. So you're saying that Neo Advaita um, has no place for much discussion of God because of the impact of West of of Western scientific culture on the Eastern teaching that came right. here. Right. And I don't. And and it's not. I don't want to make a blanket statement. I'm saying this is tendency because there are yeah. definitely many Advaita teachers who who talk about God, but it's but it's there underlying it. If you know, um, devotion is like a, a you know, it's it's dual. It's a, it seems dual, you right. know. And it's like a it's a poor cousin. It's yeah. like you don't really okay. Yeah, that's kind of that's part of the kid tradition. Stuff. Exactly. <laughs> you can prep. That's a good preparation. Yeah. It opens your heart. That's nice. But huh. <laughs> whereas right now, now for me, devotion is inseparable. Um, from um, non non dual um, realization, mm. I I don't, um, I don't make any distinction anymore. Really, uh, I mean this this is just me personally. I can't speak for anyone else, any other waking down teachers or anything, but um, for myself, um, it's come full circle. I I I am in a non dual relationship with everything that arises and everything that arises. Um, is arising in, um, I can, you know, it gets so hard to talk about this. <laughs> it's a really, good job. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, I'm in God. Right. I'm in God. And, 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 you know, personness is, um, you know, I used to say, well, God was impersonal, and what that meant, um, because of I think because of the Western background, is God is like um, you know, uh, like a thing, you know, like um, oh, you know, I'm fine with God being this kind of vast energy or vast emptiness, because somehow, you know, there's a combination. There's a scientific materialist point of view and there's the kind of abuse that's gone on in the name of religion in the West for so long right? and the um, power abuse and um, oh, all kinds of terrible things sure so there's almost like we've been traumatized by the even the God word and the, and the idea of God um, so you know I'm more yeah I mean what you and I talk about what, the way we use the word is probably not the way the man on the street would think of God, and you know, yeah, I absolutely, get your point. absolutely. Right. But but the, but the thing is, is that the personalness of of um, of the unmanifest, you could say. Hmm. I mean, the unmanifest manifested everything that's here. So every loving relationship you've ever had, every every uh, um, deep feeling. And the feeling of at homeness, the feeling of rest, all the, you know, I'm I'm so glad to be to know you, my friend. You are I'm so close to you, or I'm so 
gl- glad that I have these people who I love in my life who are there for me. That kind of love, that came out of the infinite. Mm-hmm. The infinite is not less than that. Right. And um, to really, to be in love with my, my wife, to be in love with my beloved, she's got to be a person. Mm-hmm. If she's just blood <laughs> and pus... <laughs> and all that stuff going around yeah. and thought forms and all that's all you're left with is you know stuff yeah and yeah you can do that if you stand apart from your experience yeah. then you go oh yes it's all objective i if can you see analyze it, it. Yeah. exactly uh, if you all you have left is logic you don't have love anymore hmm. but when you are honoring your direct experience that love that personness that's arising in the unmanifest so the unmanifest has that times a billion yeah so you know to speak of god i like to say personness because as soon as you say say person you think oh yeah this solid thing separate from me but god is personness for me god is love and i'm not uh, intelligence yes intelligence not unintelligent not like a rock impersonal right not like, just, oh, yeah, I'm more comfortable with energy because God, God sounds like something scary. But I, I'm okay with a God who's just a big field of energy. Mm-hmm. Well, but, you know, energy, you know, you turn on the lights and it goes off and on. That's still not enough. God is yeah. the beloved. God is heart. God is, is uh, capable of love times a thousand or is love times a thousand. Whatever loving relationship you've had times a billion. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're, we're living in a field of caring. Hmm. of compassion, of love that is permeating everything and everything arises in. And it's that one that I'm in, I'm in devotion with. Beautiful. <clears throat> Marshi uh, Mahesh Yogi wrote this nice poem years ago called uh, Love. <laughs> Actually, the name of it. And uh, in one phrase w- from it was um, personal love is concentrated universal love. Ah, mm, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Then the next line of the poem was, "Ah, my heart flows when I say personal love is concentrated universal love." It's <laughs> mm. nice. Yeah. So when when you were hanging around Papaji, sounds like you spent about five years there or something. Or yes. Um, well, well, not not back five and forth, years, back, back and forth, back and forth. Every yeah. spare moment I had, I'd be there. But yeah, for five years, a lot of plane flights. Um, did did he sort of anoint people uh, you know over there say okay you are realized go out and teach um i mean can people who are out teaching and re- referring to him as their sort of authority up on based upon upon which they are teaching are they doing that legitimately or i mean did he, from his side did he ever set up a, an arrangement like that rick you're trying to get me into trouble here aren't you <laughs> just curious <laughs> i mean because i know there has been some little controversies and and this teacher is saying no that teacher's not legit i'm the legitimate one and yada yada and uh, i'm just wondering what the what the actual situation was over there well i can't pretend to know the actual situation i can tell you um what I saw mm-hmm. um, and that is that Papaji um, freely pointed everyone who he came across to their conscious nature to their own to who they are uh, mm-hmm. ultimately 
and um, he was very generous in telling people to tell anyone they wanted to. Right. Um, I'm aware of one teacher who's very well known who somebody said so-and-so wants to know if it's okay for her to give satsang. And he said, who's so-and-so? So he didn't know that he didn't know this person's name right. before that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, okay. And they and they did it. So that's the level of he didn't So remember. it was very informal. Very informal. Yeah. There was no very. official sort of stamp of approval kind of deal. No. No, I yeah. do feel I do I, I you know, somehow I get the impression that that there there were at times that he did do, do that, mm -hmm. but it wasn't uh implied that other people couldn't do that. And yeah. people asked him and he said, "Sure." Um, I, you know, I think um, uh, in particular there were people who he said, you know, you should go out and give satsang, mm -hmm. um, and there were other people who who asked him, and he said sure, and there were other people who didn't, and he'd find out, and no problem. Yeah, so it's it sounds, and you know, I think on the whole, the whole impact that There's he's no had lineage. has has been no 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 official lineage. There's no official lineage, and that really no. has to. That's the one piece. Nor is there a lineage going this, another, the, the next step back to Ramana Maharshi. I mean, exactly. it, the whole thing is very exactly. sort of that's, unofficial. That has to be said because um, some, sometimes that language is used. Um, in India in particular, that's really not true because in India, that word lineage has a particular meaning. It's very formal. It's very formal. Yeah. It means that the, 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 the teacher um, recognized your realization mm -hmm. and then of all the people who... Uh, our student said, you come with me, I train you, and now you're empowered when I'm gone to be the teacher. I mean, right. this is the kind of, this is what lineage means. That's not what happened with Ramana Maharshi. He had no lineage. He right. never told anybody that. Mm -hmm. Papaji never said, I'm in the lineage of Ra Ramana Maharshi. Yeah, he's just doing his own thing. Well, More or less. I wouldn't even say that. I, I would just say he never said he was in the lineage of Ramana Maharshi. He always had a picture of Ramana Maharshi behind him. Mm -hmm. He always held Ramana Maharshi as his guru. Mm -hmm. Somebody said um, uh, uh, to him, you know, I'm honored to be in the presence of someone who used to be a disciple of Ramana Maharshi, I think is what the language was. And he got outraged. You changed that. I am not used to be a disciple. I am a disciple of Ramana Maharshi. Right. So it wasn't, a, tense, it, yeah. it wasn't a question of I'm doing my own thing, I'm not related. That's not it. It's that there is, Ramana never said, you're it to anybody and Papaji was not claiming that he said you're it you're you know this this is you're the next one in the lineage right. and and Papaji didn't do that with anybody that I I couldn't see him do that with anyone mm -hmm. he never in fact he claimed I'm, I'm not a teacher so how are you gonna have a lineage you're not a teacher <laughs> I mean you know he basically said I'm just a person who's here I'm speaking and uh, I'm the self you're the self we're having a conversation that's it good and uh, I always felt that way with him too. He was very um, informal, um, in, in a way non-traditional. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. It might be good for some people to hear that. Um, there's another thing I'd like to touch upon, if you have time. Um, sure. Is um, in one of your talks you were talking about. Um, Patanjali's eight limbs of yoga, you know, and I, I think you were talking about them as being sequential, you know, this leads to no. this, leads to this, leads to this, and maybe so, yeah. eventually samadhi. But you know, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, 
And there's a whole interesting sort of can of worms we could get into with regard to that and with regard to um, whether all the sort of virtues of, you know, doing the right thing, not doing the wrong thing, and all the other stuff uh, kind of grow in in tandem with the growth of pure awareness um, or whether there there's sort of a need for preparation. First you clean up your act in this way, then you learn to do that, and then X, you know, ABC, and eventually then you'll be qualified for realization. Oh, now I remember the, the now I remember when I said that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, traditionally, that's how it was. Tradi- you know, there's this understanding that um, before the highest teachings are given, um, or be- before pure awareness teachings are given, or non-dual teachings are given, there um, there should be preparation, and that and that was pretty consistent. I, I, I don't think this is uh, that it was. Um, I think the overwhelming majority of times, uh, it was just a given that you needed to. I mean, there was a whole bunch. You know, there was there was there were moral things that you had in order. Yeah, so the yamas and the niyamas. Exactly. And all that. So what to cultivate and what what to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, and you know this is a, a way to create equanimity in your life. Hmm. Um, if you remove um, circumstances and you get into the habit. Of removing circumstances that'll create trouble, um, and you know, and 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 the masters knew what created trouble, not us. You know, we said, "Oh well, I'll just make it quiet around here." They say, "No, you know, you you got to get rid of your greed." Mm-hmm. It was more, it was more like I, we know it creates trouble. So you know, all of these kind of uh, moral injunctions, um, and then you know, cultivate these because if trouble happens, you'll be way better off, smooth. You won't, won't get entangled if you're just loving and you give away something to a thief that's much easier you can get on with your meditation now or whatever so there was kind of a cultivation of generosity and 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 really you know positive things qualities right yeah and then the ability to rest your mind on someplace and this is in the buddhist tradition it's it's um calm abiding or samatha meditation um and uh in in you know dur, uh, dur, dharana. dharana right? right and then uh leads to uh, union with your object or dhyana um, and, and then uh, in, in Buddhism uh, penetrating insight or vipassana so these are, is a way in which you are cultivating uh, moral stuff and states of mind so that you can rest your mind and then the instructions to certain people to chosen people really um, you'd get the higher teachings which were like um, you know Dzogchen in Tibet or Mahamudra in Tibet um, or, uh, or, you know, pure Advaita Vedanta would be given then. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that was so that when you actually were given those instructions, you were somebody f- who would actually not only awaken to your conscious nature, but you'd be able to abide there because you were not, um, your attention was not going toward uh, it would go where you wanted it to be, right. you know. You you were you were able to do that. So you you know a lot of what happens now is people wake into consciousness and desires and 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 um, you know aversions, things that you're attached to, things that you're attracted to, things that you're repulsed by. They're much too powerful, and so you get a, a glimpse of it. And sometimes a very strong realization of it, but then trouble starts happening, 
And um, well, you guys have the wake down, shakedown, or whatever you call it. So in waking down, this is built right into the thing. Yeah. There's a recognition that that's what happens later. And so put it this way: in the past, people would not even be exposed to consciousness teachings until they were ready. Hmm. You know, they know about them. It's not you know they were common knowledge, but you wouldn't have a master pointing you there. Then in the 20th century, probably, or maybe even a little bit before that, but I'd say, you know, mostly 20th century, um, Ramana Maharshi was exceptional that way. He would point people right away, directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and many, you know, some of his disciples kind of complained about it. They said, look, you, 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 this, this villager just came in and you had him doing self-inquiry. You know, why don't you give him a mantra? Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess it was uh, Ganapati Muni who was, you know, like asking him this. And Ramana said, well, this is the way I walk. This is what I know. Besides, sooner or later, it's going to come down to, it, uh, to, to self-inquiry. But, th- but there's reasons. I mean, in other words, when there was a different time in a different place, when the world wasn't so chaotic, people actually would go through all the practices and then be ready. It's less and less likely that that's going to be the case. I mean, whether it's... Unless you go off to a monastery or something and you know study and yeah exactly and you know um, most of us aren't and you know so I, I actually feel like it's an experiment giving out the caviar to the peasants it's it's this this new thing that's happening um, and it's probably the necessity of the times yeah um, but it's extraordinary and I think it's important for us to recognize that our stomachs might not be used to caviar yet <laughs> and so we should eat it go oh wow and it may be that you get sick for a little while eating the caviar and just to recognize that all of your desires all of your stuff will come up after realization um, is an entirely strange notion because it's not in the traditional literature but the traditional literature would never allow such a one as us to be doing such high teachings interesting so, yeah and I mean it's it's almost the exception to find a teacher who hasn't been embroiled in some sort of scandal, you know. I mean, there, there's so many, so many situations like that, and and you wonder. Well, I mean, I, I originally was taught, and it was my understanding that there's a tight correlation between development of consciousness and development of moral values and and things like that. Um, but I eventually had to conclude that it's a lot looser. It's like maybe a, one of those big rubber bands that can stretch every which way. There's still some correlation, but it's it's loose. And uh, It's a different correlation than that, but there's still some correlation, but it's different. I mean, this kind of goes toward whether your realization is disassociated or not. Huh. Like, it's, it's as if the more feeling of others actually happens... Um, the more accountable you have to become because you end up feeling the results of what you do. Yeah. But if you're if you're if you're uh you know going to have a disassociated realization like okay, I'm consciousness of self, I'm not any of this stuff. Well, then this stuff can do anything and it will. Yeah, and um, the, and so, then and then there are teachers who, you know, who are very charismatic and who rationalize that as crazy wisdom or something and you know do all kinds of strange things and their disciples look at it and think well it's crazy wisdom he's he's enlightened it must be okay and you know in a way i feel that's very unfortunate and on, on the other hand it's it is what it is and you know maybe that's their that's their niche and you know i mean Samuel Bonder is a case in point he came out okay i think and uh <laughs> from a situation like that and um 
But I, I, I just, you know, the last decade or so. You mean, been, you mean having been with a guru that was that was known for, for you know, rather yeah. decadent gotcha. behavior, mm -hmm. yeah. and yet and yet was blazing consciousness, powerful darshan. The, yeah, the but he didn't have his realization when he was with Adi Da at all. No, I know, but to, but the fact that to be Adi really da, clear about that, Adi, oh, I, I realize that. But the fact that Adi Da was, you know, apparently really had something. You know. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you know, there was a, a list of things that he's that he did that would probably put him in jail if it were <laughs> publicly yeah. known. You know. Or if it happened in the states. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess not everyone. Anyway. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 interesting because all this talk we've been engaging in about you know the <coughs> excuse me divine nature and it's it's the fact that it sort of motivates a person who has realized it to sort of move this way and move that way you wonder how someone who has realized it with apparent such apparent fullness can be moved to do such crazy stuff well, uh, apparently harmful stuff I, I can say it's again I mean you know if we're going to go back to further times it's not as though abuse never happened but in the past to be part of a lineage or a school meant being accountable to that school and that lineage. And you had many other teachers um, than just your main teacher who were part of that school and lineage. And people kept each other in check. Yeah, there was a discipline and a molding of the they're, person. Yeah. They're right. And it was, a, it was a time when towns were smaller. Um, I mean, you know, I got this even just just being in India and seeing the way you know, at least in the 90s, India is changing so fast. I don't know if it's. I'm sure it's true in the villages. But the way, um, you know, people knew each other. I mean, you know, uh, you know, in the same shop, you'd have families working. Right. So if the young man, a, a woman came in to buy something, and the young man was talking to her a little bit too long, the uncle came over and said, <clears throat> "Mayor, okay." And it just was not a word spoken. Just next, you just moved right along. Yeah. And um. This is not a kind of um, a situation we're in in the 21st century, where people are really. Um, uh, I mean, most of the, the many of the you know gurus um, are are really uh, not accountable to other teachers, mm. um, uh, and so in you know um, in waking down, we're really accountable to each other, <laughs> uh -huh. and um, this uh, notion of mutuality. Um, is it's because we know we're in the 21st century, um, and uh, these are different times. We're in the West. We don't have all that kind of structure in place um, that was in the traditional East, um, and um, uh, so you know we we hold each other accountable here, and we have ethics policies. I mean, again, into the waking down path. Right. Um, we have very clear ethics policies regarding um, you know uh, sexuality in particular but also um, other forms of exploit possible exploitation yeah, money and this and that the other thing exactly sure. and um, we all hold each other accountable and there's a, a direct teaching in waking down that acknowledges what everybody knows if they think about it anyway but just explicitly states it that we are existentially equal yeah teacher and student. As, as sentient beings here, there's no difference between us. We are functionally in a hierarchy. So I function as a teacher, and they function as a student, and in that sense is a hierarchy, but existentially, hmm. no difference. And um, that's really important because uh, if 
you know, if a teacher is doing something that doesn't feel appropriate for a student, um, the student gets to question the teacher and other yeah. teachers and says, hey, this doesn't feel right. What's going on here? And the, and the teacher, if it's not, you know, something over the top, just, you know, something small, they get to go, whoops, sorry, I didn't realize I wasn't respecting you there. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Well, that's great. That's very healthy. Yeah. yeah. And when there isn't a check and balance system like that, it seem, I've seen, I can think of several examples where it almost seems like the ego becomes punch drunk with the Shakti or something. There's, yeah. you know, there's this realization and the ego somehow appropriates it. And yeah. instead of, you know, the greatness of Brahman, it's more like, I am great. Uh, yes. <laughs> And that's obviously that's a pitfall for the teacher himself, which will have to be, you know, have to come to terms with that at some point. But it, yeah. it can be a pitfall for those who align themselves with him. Absolutely, and there's a, there's actually a phenomena that happens in the field of of being an awakened being and being related to his teacher, mm -hmm. um, which um, is that um, there's the guru principle. Um, which functions whenever somebody is a teacher, um, uh, creates, uh, <clears throat> is a kind of um, a field in which if somebody's a student there, no matter what happens, there can be a learning. No for matter what happens. For the teacher, you mean? For the student. For the student. Yeah. No uh -huh. matter what happens, no matter what the teacher does. So that's functional in the energy. Yeah. What's wh what happens in uh, is an exploitation of that fact. So in waking down, we're very conscious that that's the case. So you're we, saying that but, if a t oh, okay, go saying, finish. We're very finish conscious it. that that's the case, mm -hmm. but it's never, ever, ever to be used as an, ex as an excuse for abusive behavior. Right. So yeah, they you know like uh, when something does happen, and you know scandals happen everywhere. Scandals have happened in in waking down. You know mm -hmm. like. Uh, um, when that did happen, then the teacher is disciplined, and often they're no longer a teacher. Right. Um, and there is an actual protocol for what to do, and there's, mm -hmm. there's meetings held and everything. Yeah. Um, it's obvious sometimes that the student actually learned a lot through the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I had sometimes I had an awakening from it. Interesting. Don't care. Right. Teachers out. Yeah. So it's like you're accountable at the human level, and the divine level is taking care of itself. So, you know, rather than saying, well, uh, you know, at the human level, it doesn't really matter, you know, because divinely, look, they got the, they got the lesson. No, it doesn't work that way. Right. And, you know, in, and in the larger context of the world, I mean, perhaps karmically on some level, the people starving in Somalia are learning some kind of lesson. Who knows? But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do everything we can to feed them. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, so same principle, really, just different context. I never thought of it that way, but sure, that, that, that sounds right to me. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, this is fascinating. Um, I could, the way I, the way I am, I could go on like this all night, just asking questions and thinking of more things to talk about. But uh, at a certain point, you said, "All right, well, maybe we've covered it." Okay. Um, do you feel like there's anything uh, you'd like to leave people with? Anything we haven't discussed that you kind of like to bring up, or um, no? I mean, um, I, I mean, I, I think the the biggest um, the biggest takeaway for me in terms of the whole shebang is that you can trust being. Mm. that you can trust your own being, you can trust your own life, 
at the deepest level. Na not, not necessarily your mind, right. but you can trust the life that is living through you. Nice. And um, I guess that's what I'll like to leave you with. Yeah, you were saying a little while ago how it's as if you were in an ocean of God or an ocean of love or something and just sort of flowing in that and, you know, like yeah. cradled in, in the mother's arms sort of image came to mind when you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I didn't yeah. want to have the last word. I just <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good last word. <laughs> okay, great. Um, well, thanks, Krishna. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Um, let me just make a few concluding remarks. Um, I've been speaking with Krishna Gauchi, who, uh, whose website I will link to from, Buddha, from the Buddha at the Gas Pump website, uh, so that people can get in touch with him if they like. Um, and my website is batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P. If you go there, you can see all the interviews that have been done and will be done. Uh, I do about one a week. And... Um, you can sign up to be notified by email um, when new ones become available. Um, and there's a dis little discussion group that builds up around each interview. It's a it's a WordPress blog, so people can enter comments, and then sometimes hundreds of comments end up coming on you know each on a particular interview. People get into a real discussion about things. So if you like that sort of thing, feel free to participate. So thank you for watching or listening. Oh, I should also mention that this is available as a podcast, and you'll see links there for that if you like to listen to things on your iPod uh, while you're commuting or whatever. So thanks for watching or listening, and we will see you next time. I, my next guest will be Florian Schlosser. I'll be oh. speaking, speaking to him from the sunny island of Mallorca. He'll be speaking to me from there. Uh, so talk to you then. Good night. Good night. Thank you.